0: The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your host. Very good. We welcome our podcast listeners. This is number 58. So today's title is called Finances These Seven Principles of life for finances. So let's take a look at our opening paragraph. God has established financial principles for us that are not optional. And that is the conflict that we have with this topic is that people think that studying finances even biblically that it's optional. They're hunting for a technique They're hunting for a, a system to run their finances so that they can connect their principles to that system of financing instead of the other way around. God's principles are not optional. It's the law. It's the requirement. But then he gives us the life of Christ to fulfill that law, even in finances. So these requirements, if we want to live according to the divine word of truth, it is absolutely critical that we understand what these these principles, these rules, these guidelines really are. So if we choose not to live by these simple principles, and they are simple, we'll view money as a personal possession that can be obtained by your own resources. The result is a self-reliant life, and this gains the attention of God, who cares enough to put us in our place. It's like the story that Janie told last week about the gentleman who walked up to us, walked up to me, and he said, I was drinking the Pepsi, if you remember the story, and he said, so that's what you spend my money on. That is a confession of what I just read you. See, when you are told to give that $5 to the drunken wino standing on the street and you have no assurance if he will go to McDonald's and get himself a Big Mac or if he will, you know, buy a jug of water or your fear of him using it for something else is of no value to you. It shouldn't be. If God tells you to give it to the wino on the street, you just do it. Many times people spending money on things they shouldn't be spending money is where the change starts. Do you understand what I just said? That's where the transformation starts. But if the the one who's giving the money does all the controlling with the money thinking that is going to lead this wino to conviction that, you know, oh, you'll just spend my $5 on whatever, and uh, you're going to drive them over to McDonald's and get them a hamburger. But if that's not what God led you to do, you're judging God by those actions. It's called Godship. This is critical that we understand these life principles before we start spending money. So if we view these seven principles as mandates, we'll find long-term freedom in our personal, professional, and spiritual lives. Not as suggestions, but they're mandates. And whether any of us in this room today or any of our podcast listeners can even keep these mandates, is a different sermon. Today we're just going to talk about the mandates of actually freedom, not bondage. But most people view don't spend your money on as bondage instead of freedom. So here is principle number one of freedom, spiritual acceptance. A man or woman who does not accept his position of being a child of the king or rejects the ways of God will suffer with overwhelming feelings of inferiority and self-rejection. Why? Why is that true? My buddy in Nigeria had a little bit of a different take on this finance series. Because I did get some some input from some leaders that are from poverty-stricken countries, and they're like, this series doesn't apply to us. They have no money to manage. They have no products and possession to manage that's a sign that that particular mind has been deceived. Because principles about money have nothing to do with money. That's what we got to get over in this teaching, for this teaching, through this teaching, is that the principles of managing money have nothing to do with money. And once you get that little piece... You will view any preaching, teaching, studying on money to be different than what you did before. So the negative results of not accepting our position in Christ will often, if not always, manifest itself in self-indulgence, spending, or attempting to buy things in order to make ourselves feel better about our self-image. Okay, if you could just stop for a moment in your mind. Think about how much an average, whatever that is, an average American and all they're spending through the month, try to guesstimate the percentage of money spent on self-imagery. Close. Makeup, uh, hair, shoes, cost of sunglasses, cost of exercise. exercise. It's 92%. So the waste that goes out in America on self image is mind bending. If you just took the money that people spent on self-imagery, many of the activity that goes on the internet is pure self-imagery. Little selfies, putting it out there, sending that out on the internet, and and connecting these people with that. It's all self-imagery. It's literally the internet survives on technology of self-imagery. It's called tagging. The whole world is so dependent on this whole thing about self-imagery. If you just took half of the dollars of the money spent on self-imagery, you wouldn't have a hungry person in the entire world. Not one. You wouldn't have a village in this world that does not have a great watering system. But what I just said is going to be blown off by the 92% Americans. Because they're not going to sacrifice self-image. They're not going to do it. To sacrifice what you look like is your greatest sacrifice here on earth. It is your greatest sacrifice. Because there's so many tendons that come off of of self-imagery. And most people can't balance the self-care properly with self-imagery. They can't. They don't know the, they don't know the line. So they, they just avoid it. So this is a big problem, folks. This is the most common form of spending. This can show its ugly head through the purchase of boats, cars, clothes, houses, or merely, you know, just bargain buying. We can save you 40% on that purchase. of Really? I wasn't even thinking about spending 40% on anything until I heard the ad. And after hearing the ad, I'm thinking about, wow, that is really quite a bargain. Remember last week we talked about the number one drive of the market the marketeers in the in in America today are to appeal to the money you don't have, not the money you do have they don't care about the money you have it's the money you don't have to create bondage creates relationship. Do you understand that? God himself calls us slaves. Slaves of Christ. I believe the term is bond slave, volunteer slave. Why does God continue to use the term slavery? Because it creates relationship. And Satan knows this to be true and that's why he needs bondage in finances to create relationship with the person with him. And it works. So he's appealing to what you don't have in order to bond you to bondage, bond you to Him. Knowing who we are in Christ, our identity is critical in being a godly steward of the King's resources. Yesterday when I was working on one of the conclusive chapters in the book of Revelation, for my book on the book of Revelation, which is interesting to view it that way, but... I was, again, reviewing John MacArthur. Yeah, I'm not afraid to say this publicly. I believe he has done some of the finest work on the book of Revelation of this generation. Very level-headed thinker. Doesn't go to the extremes and doing predictions and whatever. But I was doing some reading in regard to what he was saying about a particular passage that I was studying And one of the things that he brought out, interesting enough, is he believes that during judgment, there's going to be, of course, you know, judgment's going to be a thousand years for us. And how long is that judgment going to be for God? One day. That's why it's called the Day of Judgment. There's another verse that says a thousand years is a day to the Lord. Do you understand that this long drawn out process of this ugly, ruthless, horrid, torturous leader called Satan only got six days. That's all he got. This has not been long drawn out for God. We're coming to the end of that 6,000 years. And God needs a thousand human years to do this judgment. But to God, the seventh year is the day of rest. The seventh day is the Sabbath. So therefore, Satan has to be bound and put into the pit. The false prophet and the beast has to be put into the lake of fire. And then this 1,000 years, this day of the Lord, can be a day of rest. But it's interesting that judgment is in this period. In the beginning of this judgment, the bride of Christ is judged. And I completely support what he says on this. Is judged for their stewardship. Not their sins. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to be, some are going to, God's going to change his mind and go, oh, Aaron needs to go to hell. He didn't do a good job stewarding that money I gave him. No, I changed my mind on his salvation. No. The reward system. 3,368 times the rewards are mentioned in the Word of God. Old and New Testament, there's a reward system coming. Some will be doorkeepers and others will be rulers of nations. So there's, there's a lot of positions in this new earth that are going to be filled because of this moment. So that's a different thing to file away in your mind when it comes to the Day of Judgment. And keep in mind God judging people is a day of rest for him. And that will mess with your mind because that is the number one reason why the emergent church is going emergent is this word judgment is harsh, unreasonable. And God views it as rest. But that's another sermon. (coughs) Principle number two, embracing authority. It is impossible for man to steward God's resources if he does not place himself under God's authority. Now, if I actually... um, I don't have an object, but if I was to give an object to Aaron to take care of until he dies... I mean, think about that. He's a young man. He's probably got many, many years ahead of him. Whatever this object is that I'm going to give him, he has to care for it, polish it, preserve it, avoid destruction that could come upon this object the rest of his entire life. So when he dies as an old man, that this object is preserved... And then he dies. Wrong. This object needs to be given to another generation to preserve that object the exact same way that Aaron preserved it. He shouldn't give it to an irresponsible wannabe, you know, lustful young man who's wanting to suck out of life everything he can get out of it. That would be improper stewardship. He wants to give it to a faithful one. What did Paul tell Timothy before Paul died? It was at the end of Paul's life, at the end of Paul's ministry, he has this little chat with Timothy. What does he say? Take this and go find, you guys finish the verse. A few good men. If a man cannot handle an object in preservation, I will never entrust the gospel to that person. Never. Never, never, never. So that's how I find out if there's a young man who is actually willing to be preserving the gospel of Jesus Christ, is I'll give him a silly little object to take care of. And if they do it with excellence and and preserve it and invest in that thing, whether it's a lawnmower or whether it is a car or whether whatever it is, that's how Paul was supposed to find Timothy. That's how Timothy is supposed to find the faithful men, because as an object can be carried forward from generation to generation, certainly the gospel can. You know why we have a messy gospel today? You know why they call the gospel the gospel of grace? It is not the gospel of grace, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, who happens to use grace to get his work done. But no, we have a generation calling it the gospel of grace. There is no scriptural evidence of that. We have a messy gospel today because we are handing the gospel down to irresponsible, self-indulgent preachers making millions if not billions of dollars off the gospel. You may not give your 10% of your life's inheritance to a television teacher but there's millions that are while God's true stewards of the gospel are starving physically psychologically and not spiritually we bless those who are blessed we give our money to those who have money I have never gotten that as a Christian leader I have never understood that why rich people get free lunches I have never understood that they should be paying for my lunch but that can't be expected well this is how the system works and that's what I want you to see so this is practically done through submitting ourselves to a mentor whom God has entrusted to oversee our life as well as the written word itself. If a young man and a young woman has not found their mentor by 10 years of age the odds of them submitting themselves to authority as young men in from 13 to 18 years of age keeps them in the lower 30 percentile. 10 years of age, if your parents have not got you connected to a mentor who's going to watch you grow, you prosper, you in Christ for the rest of that mentor's years, not your years. 10 years of age. That's because if daddy gets hit by a truck and gets taken home early, guess who gets to continue to grow as a young man? (coughs) Or a young woman? Now, we don't think like that. We think in a little shell. Do you know how viruses work? You probably do. They are so navel-gazing in their, their own members of their own virus... That they reach out and they live off of each other's defilement. It's called cancer. It's how cancer works. Cancer cells work this way. They live off the defilement and the dying process of other cells around them. And then they unite. And then they unite. And then they unite. So... Actual inward focus of your family, inward focus and not being connected to the body of Christ inward focus and not being connected to, to mentors and whatever that fungus, that cancer inside your own house will keep growing and growing until you have a young man who's 18 years of age who just defies authority the world's filled with them And you say when he was 8 years old, he was so cute, so submissive to his daddy and whatever, and now at 18 years of age, he's blowing everyone off. Our prisons are filled with them. This is why. You see, if someone cannot tell you what to do with your money, and you won't change what to do with what you're doing with your money, there's no way that that young man or young woman can be told what to do spiritually. Can't be done. What a child says for for their money reveals their heart. Is there a verse that comes to mind on this? For your exactly. So you want to find out where someone's heart is, you find out where their treasure box is. Then you open that treasure box, you find out what's in the treasure box. They don't even have to tell you, they don't have to lie to you. Oh, I love Jesus, I love the gospel, I love mission work. Uh, Blah, 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 that's noise to me. I want to look in their treasure box. I want to look in their closets. And see what they're storing up. What's important? Is it toys? Is it what's important to this human being? The way God is telling us to find this out is to look into their treasure box. This blah 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 lying stuff. People saying, Oh, I'm committed to the church, I'm committed to you, I'm committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm committed, it's like blah blah, it's noise. What's in your treasure box? Well, they're offended. They're like, no one has the right to look in my treasure box. They keep it hidden under their bed. Well, that's exactly what your children's children going to do. Because they don't understand this. So people make independent decisions with their finances because they are independent. Most of the people in our postmodern world are not quick to place themselves under God given authority. Authority has become a nasty word in our society. Well, that's an understatement, actually. And even as I was working on the second to the last chapter in the book of Revelation yesterday, or day before yesterday, I was appalled and awakened again. By the simple fact that in the final days, Satan is going to require everyone to be fully obedient to his authority. It's not optional. You see, he has a covert system in his treasure box. But he wants all of the world to think they're independent and they can pick their own gods and they can pick their own you know, money and how they spend it. And if you look in, in chapter 19 of the book of Revelation, you're going to hear God mention the wealthy people, those who have strived for wealth, those who have strived for possessions. Those, And in an hour, he turns that system upside down. They don't know what to do. The ship merchants, the all the people who are part of this second Babylon, they don't know what to do. They have no source anymore for their independence because they realize that whoever this is that's torching Babylon is about to torch them. They never thought of it. Money has a way of not having you think about the things you're supposed to. It's a great distractor. Followers tend to only submit themselves to authority figures who have proven themselves to be wise. That is not the original mandate given to us by God. Authority is authority. If the authority asks us to do something immoral, ungodly, or illegal, we are to say no. Because it's violating God. If the authority is asking us to do things that are within the boundary lines of the word of God, we are to wholeheartedly say yes and do it quickly. And actually do it cheerfully. This is a practice lost within the pages of biblical living. The only way to break a man of independence is through dependence. Servants, be uh, submissive to your masters with all respect. Not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. So I have had quite a few people and leaders say that is a cultural statement, servants, when we're called servants. So when I bring up the verses that Jesus used and Paul used a generation later about being slaves to Christ to this day I've not had anyone answer that adequately. They don't like the term slavery anymore. We're not supposed to fight slavery. We're supposed to fight the obsessive bondage that comes with bad slavery. There's a difference. But Satan doesn't want people to figure that out. Because if they figure it out, they'll honor God they'll be willing to be a bond slave to Jesus Christ. Well, he certainly doesn't want that. <coughs> so principle number three, clear conscience. People who suffer with a foggy conscience will lower the standards of God to fix their morbid beliefs. Once this occurs, a lifestyle of compromise will fill the follower's heart and mind with worldly fables. He can then only trust in his own judgment in how to spend God's resources. The guilt experienced by a believer like this will spur on to the spending of even more in respects of fruitless possessions. It says uh, to us in Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.19, it says, Keeping faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. A man or woman who has not or does not have a clear conscience will end up with a shipwreck for their entire life. The principle directly connected to treasures stored up on earth is a direct parallels of treasures stored up in heaven. Jane read it earlier eternal weight of glory. There's an, actually an investment made. Every time you hand out a $5 bill to that person on the street because God told you to do it, there's an investment made on heaven's side. But anytime you give something to look good, self-image, it's about me, you let the other hand know you're giving it, you know, which is called tax returns, Any any of that kind of giving is not recorded in heaven. It isn't. Only the giving that Christ does through you is what is recorded as eternal weight of glory. And I also know 3% of the people just got what I said. Forgiveness, the term forgiveness, reconciliation, restoration are biblical words to define a balanced Christian life. There are also financial terms used in the Word of God, interesting enough. To accurately handle ourselves with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we must accurately handle our resources from God in like manner. If we are quick to forgive an individual for hurting us, we will be just as quick to forgive his debt against us. God graced us, we grace them. That's the principle. The fact that you were going to hell in a handbasket, were you deserving of going to hell? I'm just curious. Yes. Okay? Why? What if you lived from your birth up to this day of discovery? Let's say it's today and not murdering anyone, not stealing from a bank, maybe not even stealing from your mother, and you've lived a pretty decent life, how can that person be deserving of paying for their own debt? Were what if this person, and I know people who were unsaved that are better givers, then save people. What if that's not the case for them? You're born, spiritually dead. You're born in debt. Stay with me on this. Next week we're going to cover this topic of parental debt. If you have a child that is physically born and the parents are in debt... That child is born in debt. Now I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but I'm going to say it, and it's not illegal for me to say it, but I am going to say it. Because I know it's being worked on because a friend of mine in Washington told me it's being worked on. They're working on a plan right now to pay our national debt through our children's children that the national debt will be rolled down to every child who's born and this new tax system that they're working on your children's children will be hit with that debt and will be required to pay a certain percentage of national debt because they have figured that it will take four generations a 50% taxation on your dollar in order to pay the present national debt from going into collections not paying the full debt are you with me stopping the interest rate from taking us into collections so your children's 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 children will be born into debt without a single decision on their part of going into personal debt. You say, that will never happen. We'll see. I remember the days when they said, abortion will never be legal. Really? I remember the days when they would say, homosexual marriages will never happen in this country. Really? I remember the days when they said euthanasia will never happen in this country. Really? I remember the days when they said that assisted suicide will never happen in this country. Have you read the news this week? Really? So for someone to say, oh, Finney, that is radical. That'll never happen to America. Well, they will tax our children four generations out. Really? And what it's going to produce in our children's children is a bad attitude toward big government. That's not the solution. The solution has to be to sit down with a leader like that and to build relationship with them for the strict purpose of them knowing Jesus Christ. And then using their influence to possibly make a change. That's what I do. And you know what, folks? It works. But if I view the person and judge them according to what I'm seeing on the entry of building that relationship, I'll never step outside my little bubble. Hebrews 12, 15 through 17 tells us financial freedom equals spiritual freedom. It is that simple. God has called us to to the ministry of reconciliation. So, here's the deal. This is not only the means of going to our brother to reconcile hurt and blame, but it is also to include our finances. To truly reconcile with someone, we must count the costs of loss. We are required by God to let go of any harbored feelings or debt to hold on to or to hold that person in bondage. Restoration is... Restoring the relationship by whatever means God requires of us. Many times, this means releasing someone from the debt against us. The terms of the gospel are the same terms used in financial freedom. And that's the passage that can be studied out of Hebrews chapter 12 verses 15 through 17. Can you imagine your goal in giving someone, loaning someone $100? And your goal is to actually have them have this feeling and sense of being in bondage. And then those want, some want to even make an interest on that. And we know what the scriptures say about charging interest for a loan. So, If we are able to look beyond that and go, you know, my whole goal in giving you the $100 was not to hold you in bondage, but actually to forgive you of your debt. So you would make the parallel that Christ forgave you of your debt. You're not going to be born into debt because of the mistakes your parents made. You're going to be released from what you were, the debt that you were born into. Do you understand what the government is trying to work on in this financial plan is actually biblical? And I know I just aroused a bunch of people going, yeah, big government, I hate big government. It's biblical. It's the very system God used. He allowed this whole thing of people being born into debt because of their parents' sin. Yes? Yes? all the way back to Adam and Eve? Yes. Why? So Christ could come and say, I forgive you of your debt of sin. You're free. I'm what? But I owe owe millions. Yes, you're free. You had some pretty bad forefathers. But you're free. In fact, I'm going to give you a brand new life. In fact, I'm going to give my son to you to live inside your mortal body so that he can fulfill the law through you of all these mandates and requirements that are going to be required of you. That's the piece that the church is messed up on. The inward dwelling life of Jesus. Principle number five, I have no rights. Only the meek inherit the earth, Jesus said. A meek person is one who has yielded his rights to demand what his rights are. How many Americans do you know that live by this? No, they use the Constitution of the First Amendment, the Second, the Third, the, what, whatever they can come up with, say, I have the right to marry my homosexual partner. I have the right of freedom of speech to say that I hate Christians and I want to kill them. I have the right, do you see what the rights are producing? The initial statements of our forefathers were freedom, 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 religious freedom, political freedom, 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 freedom. I don't think they really figured out that the fact that they constituted freedom, that it was ultimately going to produce the very bondage that will destroy that country. Now, I also understand the majority of people that just heard what I just said don't get it. But they're going to someday. You're going to understand this simple principle number five, and that is those who demand their freedom and their rights are the ones who are going to lose them. Meek people diligently work to wait for the right time to proclaim the words of God, not demand it. Those who demand payment are never satisfied with the payment. That's an interesting thought. They usually want a pound of flesh, as they say. Proud people, not meek people, enjoy watching people squirm their way into humility. Humility. And who are they really humble for and with and to? Wa. Because I've held them in debt. Do you know a debate? The successful golden key that is in all debates. You put it in that little lock hole. And you turn the key. And that successful turn is squirm, baby. Humble yourself before me. I have the intellect to win this debate. That's the basis of debate. And that is one of the key cornerstones of our country in our educational system. Debate your parents. Debate your pastor. Debate your professors. Debate your, you have the right, debate, 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 debate. All debate is, is go to Webster Dictionary and look up what it says. Hooking someone with an idea or principle from your value system. Really? It doesn't support God's word at the right time to proclaim the words of God. Most leaders find more gratification in the enslavement they create than they do in being paid in full. The fact of having someone actually pay me a week after I loan them $100 is not pleasant if I'm an evil worker. I want them dependent on me, so I don't want them to pay me back. Does that like make sense? You see, as a lender, I, I don't care what you have. I care what you don't have. I need you groveling with me for years to come. I can live off your interest, not your principal. Most leaders find this very gratifying, but this is a technique the Antichrist will use in the final days. Grovel, grovel, grovel. Dead equals bondage, and bondage requires service. They have found something interesting in the court system. We're just now catching on to it. It's a little bit fascinating concept for me. Instead of imprisoning all these prisoners, there's these evil doers, they're putting them under slavery and community service with leaders, nonprofit leaders in the community. And they're finding that forced servicehood is more rehabilitating Than putting them in prisons where they learn to sharpen their skills of murder and deceit. I'm like, duh, you're just not getting this? They should have used the community service package program six days after they finished the Constitution of the United States. If they want a true rehabilitation, they don't. Morality, number six. Is anyone who violates God's principles of morality sooner or later becomes a slave to morality? The very things we resist is what we become enslaved to. I believe the primary reason for all of the immorality in the world today is because people refuse to respect Obey the laws of God's morality. Being moral is not just a sexual concept. Being moral is accepting the purity of the guidelines of the moral and just God. As long as the people of this world violate God's principles of finances, there will be immorality. And you can count on that. It's just very, very fascinating to me that no matter what scripture you go to in regard to money, it's always brought out about, it goes into immorality. What does money and sex have to do with each other? I mean, I have rethought that and rethought that because of the number of times it's connected in the scripture. Why is morality such a big deal when it comes to money with God? Hmm, that's an interesting topic, and we will explore it. Number seven: Calling people wander because they have no purpose, and people without purpose have have not embraced their calling. So, if you're looking at your child and you see them just kind of wandering around, what they're going to play with next? You've imparted no vision to them. So it's easy to see in a young child's life, they're just kind of wandering. They, then they make these comments, I'm bored, I'm bored. They are confessing to you, you as the parent have dropped the ball and imparting a vision to them. Boredom is not a word to be used in the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. Ever. Ever. And when boredom does enter into an indwelt Christian's life, it is a confession they've lost the vision of what's in their true treasure box. You want to know why people are driven for second jobs, third jobs, money to this, a dream, dream, dream of things that are going to end up in dust? You know why they get compulsively attached to this dreaming, daydreaming stuff? Is because they're without vision. Vision is not dreaming. Vision is clearly seeing where you're going. Then you use money, material things, and whatever to load the load that will drive you, give you the resources to get to the end of that calling. When a man or woman of God commits himself to God's holy and righteous purpose for being On this earth, he will properly steward the resources of God. This can only happen when you and I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when you're a child, it reads this way. So this can only happen when you as the child seek first your parents' kingdom and their righteousness. See, this kingdom in this home here is to be a replica of the kingdom of God. So the children in this home should be driven to take care of this home as if it's the kingdom of God. Is that not simple? So, you see, the way someone takes care of their yard, the way someone takes care of the carpet, the way someone takes care of walls, the way someone takes care of the garage, the way someone, it's all a symbol of God seeing if that is going to be an adequate worker for the kingdom of God. If you thought and your children thought in that capacity every time they woke up in the morning, it could change the way you lived that day in your house. Remember when our great grandmas used to say godliness is next to cleanliness is next to godliness. Cleanliness is next to godliness. I'm afraid they're telling you the truth. If God sets out these tiny little tasks, he gives you tiny things to see if he can entrust you to someone who want to finish the verse? To much. He who is faithful with the small things will be entrusted to the much. And if you go and look into the Greek, if you've got one of those Greek dictionary Bibles, you're going to find out that the much is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our missionaries are shrinking by the thousands every month. Because we do not have young men and women who've been faithful with their toothbrush. That's the God's truth. That's why I look inside guys' trucks. That's why I look in the homes. Because it tells me if there's, a, if there's one I can invest in in that home for the gospel of Jesus Christ. A principle... That is lost. This all boils down to principle number seven, and that is the calling. The whole world of finances is for one simple result. Who can I call to the higher calling of Jesus Christ? Who is his son? Who? Who is this? That doesn't mean the majority are not going to be called into advancing the gospel or going to go to hell. I mean, some are, the majority of the people that are going to go to heaven are going to be mowing lawns on the new earth, so it's not going to be that big of a deal. They're going to be happy. But see, God's perspective is hunting for the leader among leaders, whether you're male or female, to advance the gospel four generations out. And how does he do it? Money. Who's in your wallet? It's not what's in your wallet. It's who's in your wallet. What's the identity in your wallet? If you say, oh, that's Jesus Christ. What, because you heard that two sermons ago? Or because that's what's in your treasure box? Is little treasures surrounding the gospel of Jesus Christ. We live in a toy society. As some of you know, Janie and I have been horrifically against toys that do not advance reality. So the kind of toys that you get your grandchildren and your children are play dishes and little cars and trucks and tractors and guns and knives and swords and all that real stuff. But when you buy them transformers that transform into another power being and you think it's just a toy, what do you think that they're preparing your child for? Demonic possession and evil control and empires coming in on the world. That's not a toyful idea to me. I don't want my, my son or daughter or grandchildren accepting demonic imagery as fun. So toys need to be real. That's going to advance mommyhood, womanhood, manhood, fatherhood. You see what I'm saying? Because they'll drop the toys automatically and they won't collect these collectors of demonic imagery and put it on their shelves in their mid-30s. Put it on eBay and get $200 off of it. That makes me sick. That people are making money off of demonic evil imagery. And they call themselves Christians. Really? Now this sounds a bit harsh and unruly for some people that's listening. Particularly those who indulge their children. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you the truth. This has nothing to do with advancing your child to advance the calling of advancing the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Listeners, think very, very, very carefully. Everything we're going to discuss over the next 30 weeks, 30 weeks in this topic, are going to come to principle number seven. And I've, I do, I'm a research freak, I've done my Pew surveys and studies. And I do understand that I am only going to be able to reach 12% of the entire body of Christ, those who claim to have the indwelling life of Christ, not the wannabes, those who actually say, I know I'm indwelt by Christ. I'm only going to get 12% of those to listen intently to this this series. Because when you touch someone's wallet, you are at the core of their survival. And I love tugging on them. Because if there is a quick grab for protection, not a good sign, but if they go, here, let me get that for you. Someone has a gun to your head and you pass them your wallet. Say there's a couple credit cards in there, some cash, some pictures of my grandchildren too, if you want those. Have it. You see, the product... The possession is for the purpose of the gospel. You should want to be robbed. And that is a crazy way to think. But that's how Jesus was. That's how the disciples were. Take from me. just Take. What have I got here I can give you? Because possessions are for ministry. But we'll spend more time talking about that and it actually will begin to make sense. Identity matter statement for today. There are seven principles of financial freedom. Now, I'm not one for making promises unless the promises are backed by the living God. But this I do promise to you guys today, each of our listeners. If we adhere to these seven principles, we will be financially free and reveal the identity of the Father to all those who observe us. Now here's the beauty of this thing. And this is the little piece that a lot of leaders who have been in the identity world and the sharing the grace principles, whatever they say, you do this little thing about connecting the Father's identity to Jesus that we really haven't thought about. And I really, just as I'm doing right now, I really have got to tighten my mouth down because I want to chuckle. Because to me it's so simple that the father gave his identity to his son. The son became his father's identity. So he could say, when you hear me talk, you hear my father talk. When you see me do what I do, it's not I who does it, but my father who does it. You see, he demonstrated, his daddy and him, demonstrated identity of the father given to the son. And then the son steps up and goes, Okay, Stephen, I'm going to give my father's identity to you, but you get to call your identity me. But I'm not going to hang on to the glory here because I carry my father's identity. So actually, you are carrying your father's identity. I'm just going to do it through you. But when you see me doing it through you, don't think I'm doing it. Think it is and know that it is the Father doing it through you. Do you see the simple deception that could fall into this? It's the Father's identity given to the Son. The Son becomes the identity of the Father. So therefore, Satan wants to destroy these identity in Christ's truths with the body of Christ. He will destroy the authority structure between the Father and Grandfather with that Son. That's how it works.